Thank you so much, Dave, for reading that beautiful prayer. And uh, I know you didn't see the words, but I hope those words spoke to your spirit and just the incredible hope that is, that is in that prayer. So let me just add my welcome to all of you today, those of you watching at home and all of you in the room today. It is really great to see all of you. And uh, last week was Easter, and I hope that you had lots of opportunities for different ways to, to uh, safely be with people and family and enjoy the Easter season. And I just want to remind you this morning that uh, Easter actually isn't over. According to the calendar, Easter is a day. But actually, according to the church calendar, Easter is a season. And this is actually the second Sunday of Easter, and there's seven more weeks until we, we move on. So I just want to encourage you that if Easter and that resurrection power message, and if you were here last week when Pastor Bruce spoke on just the fact that everything changed, everything changed because of the resurrection power, I just feel so compelled in my heart and my spirit to encourage us and to bless you with, we need to keep walking in resurrection hope. And we need to keep crying out for resurrection power. And I just want to pray that blessing over, over all of you today as we just consider the significance of this time and, and what's ahead. Now, for some reason this last week, everyone kept talking about crocuses. And I kept getting people sending me pictures of crocuses on Instagram or all over. And so I thought, I have to show some pictures of crocuses today. So, Neil, I don't know if we got those up there. These are taken by Pastor Marine, actually, on the Northeast Swale, just not very far from here. Now, where's that? Is that second one up there? That one is so beautiful. Just hang on to that one for a while. You know, the picture or the, the coming of the crocus in our part of the prairies where spring takes so long to come is such a picture of hope. It's such a picture of resurrection. And I just hope that this image in some small way can encourage you today. That even though the snow came this morning and it's still brown and bleak, we know spring's on its way, right? We've lived enough years that experience tells us spring will come. Well, you know, I sense that there's so many of us who have kind of had a long spiritual winter, a dry spiritual winter, and we're just so longing for the freshness of God's Spirit to bring spring hope into our lives. And so I just pray for you today that this picture of a crocus, that little gleam of hope, will remind you that we're still in the season of resurrection power, of resurrection hope. So let me pray over that before we dive into the sermon today. So Lord Jesus, we praise you and we worship you. You are our resurrected Savior. You are the risen and living one. And so Lord, we just worship you and we praise you. And Lord, my heart goes out to our congregation today. Lord, I sense there are so many that, that feel just a deep sense of spiritual winter, of spiritual dryness, and are just longing for your spirit to bring resurrection hope and resurrection power into their lives. And so, Lord, we just declare that in faith. And, Lord, I just pray over each person that's in that place. I just pray, Holy Spirit, that wherever they're watching, if they're in this room today, Holy Spirit, as we've just sung, would you come and would you pour into their lives fresh hope, a fresh dose of your presence, or give them hope that no matter how dry or bleak things may seem right now, that your resurrection power can change 
can bring hope and can lead us into our futures. So Lord, I just pray. I, I can't make that hope happen. I'm just in faith trusting you, Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, touch your people. Speak to your people today. May we walk in your resurrection hope. Fill them with your resurrection power. And these things I all pray in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, the series that we're in is called uh, Kingdom Culture. And we've been studying the book of Matthew. And uh, just to kind of fill you in on a bit of the context, during the Easter season, we went to the very end of the book of Matthew because that's where the whole Easter narrative is, and we covered that. But just before that time, we ended off in Matthews 5, 6, and 7, which is famously known as the Sermon on the Mount. And it was the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus, with much authority, taught and amazed the people. And so the Sermon on the Mount era was Jesus um, teaching about the kingdom. But now that we go to chapter 8 and following in Matthew, now Jesus is going to start to demonstrate the kingdom. So this is pretty incredible stuff. Now, if you were listening to the prayer that was read earlier from Ephesians, the one line I wanted you to, to, to highlight or to think about was the, the line in the prayer that says, God has put all things under the authority of Christ. I'll say that again. God has put all things under the authority of Christ. The death and then resurrection of Jesus culminated in this ultimate victory where God now has put all things, all authority under Jesus. As Bruce said last week, it changed everything. And now Jesus is going to start to illustrate the kingdom in such a way for our faith to grow and our eyes to be opened to this kingdom, to this kingdom culture that he's calling us to. So this message today is going to take snapshots of a lot of different stories from chapter 8. I wish I could slow down on them more, but it's going to be more snapshots. But it's going to illustrate that Jesus has authority over the natural realm. He has authority over the spiritual realm. And he has authority to forgive. And we can take great comfort and hope in knowing that. So that, that's where we're going to go today. So talking about authority, what first comes to mind when you think about authority? Now, my guess would be that for a lot of you, the first thing you might think about is more negative. You might think about how authority is abused. And so whether we think perhaps at a government level or a law enforcement level and even in leadership in the church sometimes, when authority is abusive and misused, it can become a horrible thing. And I know that many have been, have been hurt much because of the misuse of authority. However, on the other hand, when authority is exercised by credible and gifted leaders. Authority can be an amazing, freeing, and wonderful thing. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation, maybe it was a work meeting, maybe it was some kind of a, some kind of a family or community crisis, or, or one of those times when there was this crisis, confusion, impasse, and everyone was just confused and wondering what to do. And then the right leader with authority came into that situation, and it kind of calmed and brought peace and brought direction. And in moments like that, if you can think of that in a scenario in your life, those are amazing moments when you understand and recognize how important and good well-used authority is. And so with that picture in mind, remember, Jesus, God put all things under his authority. 
And that's what we put our faith in, in the ultimate goodness of God, who would never want to exercise his authority inappropriately, but do it in that way that brings freedom and brings life. So that's where we'll go today. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 8. And some of the scriptures will be on the screen, um, not all. So if you want to follow along in a Bible or your phone. But let's begin with um, Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. And I'm reading from the NIV. It says, When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, he was cleansed of his leprosy. Now, what's amazing about this story right off to me is that this man comes to Jesus, and what does he ask for? Did you notice he didn't ask to be healed? He asked to be clean. Now, you've got to imagine the scene. Jesus is coming down from the mountain after this famous Sermon on the Mount. And there's crowds, and they're impressed crowds. They've already been marveling. Wow, this man teaches with an authority that we've never heard before. And they were wowed and amazed. And so in coming down from the mountain, the first thing that Jesus does is he approaches someone that in their culture and in their law is unclean. You see, leprosy at that time was, it was it's really a word that meant many different types of skin conditions. But beyond leprosy, the Old Testament law had many conditions and many ways that people could be unclean or ceremonial unclean. And if you were unclean, you were to be ostracized. You were to be marginalized. And if you were righteous and holy, you avoided those who were unclean. There was a spiritual connection to that uncleanness. And so for you to be righteous and holy and a good follower in their way of thinking, you avoided those marginalized, unclean people. So you have to imagine that, again, Jesus, in a sense, in this spiritual high moment, the first person that comes to him is an unclean leper. And this leper says, I want to be clean. I want to be clean. And then Jesus does the most amazing thing that's completely a kingdom statement. Because remember, in the, kingdom of the, in the Sermon on the Mount, he was saying the kingdom is for the meek and the poor and the marginalized. And now he goes to one of these that are unclean and does the unthinkable in their law. A righteous, holy man touches someone who's unclean. And that was a huge kingdom statement, the kind of kingdom culture that Jesus was saying that he had authority over to make people clean, to turn around this whole misunderstanding of what holiness and uncleanness really means. Uh, a commentator by the name of Rodney Reeves just put it simply this way. He said, Jesus reversed the polarity of holiness when he touched the leper and made him clean. So as I thought about this and where conviction came in my heart and my life, who are the people in our culture who feel that Christians in the church see them as unclean? And so they feel rejected and judged by us and don't get to see or feel the touch of Jesus. I don't know who the Spirit will reveal to you in your life, but does holiness mean that we live this separated, stay away from the unclean? Or is the whole kingdom culture that Jesus is calling us to is the kind of kingdom culture 
that touches the marginalized, interacts and brings life into the relationships of those that might be considered unclean. Because that's kingdom culture. That's what we're called to, and that's the kind of authority that Jesus wants to release. So that's one quick picture. Let's, let's go on to the next one now in verse 5, another healing, chapter 8, verse 5. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Now, imagine this scene again. Remember, Jesus has just come from the mountain where he's been teaching about the kingdom. He's now demonstrated it by touching the leper. And now he does another unthinkable thing. He actually takes audience with a heathen Gentile. And not any Gentile, a Roman soldier. To the Jewish people at that day, there could be almost no one more hated and reviled than the oppression of the Romans. Remember, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught, love your enemies, be good to those who persecute you. Here, Jesus right away demonstrates it. And he goes right to this would have been hated Roman. All of the Jewish people would have been judging their wonderful rabbi, giving this man audience. And yet, what was Jesus impressed by? Jesus was impressed that this man actually understood who he was and what kind of authority he had. You see, the people were all excited for Jesus to be a great teacher. They were all excited for him to be a healer. But they didn't get fully who he was. And yet here this Gentile, this Roman Gentile, gets the fact that this is a king. This is someone with authority. And his faith was that if you have that authority, you just have to say the word and it'll be done. And, and Jesus, Jesus just marveled at that. But you know, in this text, there's another real key kingdom statement. Now, verse 11 and 12 are a little bit disturbing and confusing in some language, in some, sorry, in some translations. I want to show it to you um, in the message, and I think it'll give you a little bit of a different window as to what Jesus is really getting at here. Verse 11 and 12. So in the message it says, this man is the vanguard of many outsiders who will soon be coming from all directions, streaming in from the east, pouring in from the west, and sitting down at God's kingdom banquet alongside Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then those who grew up in the faith but had no faith will find themselves out in the cold, outsiders to grace, and wondering what happened. Isn't that an interesting perspective? You see, these people were judging what was going on here. The Jewish people, they were all presuming, were the guests of the kingdom, were the honored guests. And now Jesus is saying, guess what? This Roman you hate here, he's actually a picture or a prime example of those who are now going to flock into the kingdom from all nations all over. And they're going to come to the table. And he mentions Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, their patriarchs. 
They're the ones that are going to be sitting at the kingdom table. And then many of you, he said, then those of you who grew up in the faith but had no faith will find themselves out in the cold, outsiders to grace and wondering what happened. Now, as I meditated on this, I'm someone who has grown up in the faith. And so that line pierced me to the heart. And I had to say, okay, Jesus, where am I entitled? Where am I taking my faith for granted? Where am I just assuming that I'm in, I'm at the table, and I can just look at whoever else or who might be unclean or outside? And it was like, wow. Can I have that kind of evil attitude in my spirit? Forgive me, Jesus. I think it's a, it's a real disturbing and yet very true kingdom statement. Are we presuming on faith because it's our heritage and background? Or are we seeking? Are we living? Are we digging into our faith? Is it real in our lives? You see, what Jesus was saying here about the coming kingdom would have made the Jews there very uncomfortable because they had to picture those that they saw as hated outsiders at their table of their kingdom. And Jesus was saying, you might actually be surprised who's going to be at my kingdom table. I feel like the Spirit has often said that to me. Don, you're, you're going to be really surprised who's at the table. Humble yourself before me and my authority. So let's, let's continue on with, with some more pictures here. So Jesus, in, in showing his authority over, over the, the human realm, over the physical realm, and he shows that in these healing stories, and there is another, another one. But we're going to go down now to um, verse 23, where Jesus now has authority actually even over the earth elements. An amazing story of him calming the storm. So go down to chapter 8, verse 23. Then he got into the boat, and his disciple followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves, and it was completely calm. Then the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Now, what an amazing scene. And look at what the disciples were most amazed by, right? This incredible demonstration of Jesus' power, of Jesus' authority over the natural elements. It was a miraculous, miraculous moment. And yet, I wonder and I would suggest to you that this wasn't all about power demonstration, but this was actually a faith test. I would suggest to you that what Jesus was hoping his disciples would learn the most from this was that they would understand who he was, what his authority meant, and that the best and safest and most complete place for them to be is in his presence. You know, when I think about this story and think how amazing it is and yet what Jesus wanted to test in his disciples, the other thing I often think about is how often I get disappointed 
and fully admit even angry at God because I want him to calm the storms in my life. I want him to fix the storms in my life. Where's my peace be still as I heard this story growing up? And wouldn't we all love that? Wouldn't we love this kind of miraculous moment that the problems and the struggles and the storms in our life, that Jesus would just come in and take care of them? I know. It's so hard to wrestle and to struggle with that. And yet what I'm trying to dig into in my faith and to encourage you with today is that submitting to what Jesus is really saying, here's what he's calling us to. Do we really believe, do we really live that the ultimate way of knowing him, the ultimate way of having him be in the middle of our storms is for us to understand his authority, to respect his authority, to long and be in his presence and to know that his presence is enough. We can trust in his presence. And when we can submit to his authority and trust in his presence, it doesn't make it easier, but it helps when we're struggling with all of the whys, all of the ways we don't understand how God works, when, why, all of those huge questions that can mess us up at times. I think a, a good starting point is to learn this lesson that Jesus wanted them, submitting to his authority, being honest about our disappointment, our fears, the things we don't understand, but trusting in the one who has authority over all things. Difficult one, but take that picture. So we'll, we'll go down a little bit to, to verse 28, and now Jesus is going to demonstrate that he has authority not over the natural realm, but also over the spiritual realm. So verse 28 says, When he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gerdes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God, they shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. Wow. Now, so far, when Jesus does the miraculous, the people are pretty wowed and awed and are going, bring it on, Jesus, more healings, more great teaching. But this time, they're afraid. This time, seeing Jesus' authority makes them terrified, and they actually beg him to leave. Sometimes Jesus' authority can be fearful and can be very powerful and there can be things about it that we can't comprehend or understand. You see, when it comes to this, this whole area of spiritual warfare and the spiritual realm, the, the truth is that, is that we really don't know that much. But what we can take the greatest comfort in, the greatest peace in, is that Jesus has authority even over the spiritual realm. There, there's another kingdom statement in here that Jesus makes, and it's kind of hidden. You see, the demons, they recognize who Jesus is right away. The disciples, they haven't figured it out yet. The majority of the people, they haven't got a clue yet who he really is. But right away, the demons knew, you're the son of God. They knew right away that he had the authority. And you notice how they complain? 
and they say, they say, uh, you're here before the appointed time. Like, this isn't the time. And Jesus makes a kingdom statement because he's going, I have all authority from God. I declare when the kingdom comes, and it's coming now. And I can use this authority no matter what time it is. You're gone. And so it's just an incredible show of his power that Jesus is again declaring that the kingdom is here. When we, when we think about spiritual warfare, again, there's so much that could be talked about here. I'm just giving you a little picture. But if I can just encourage us, let's avoid the ditches. And what I mean by that is there's the ditch of, you know, what some have called satanic panic or the whole idea of seeing a demon under every rock and, and just being paralyzed by fear of this demonic spiritual world. That isn't helpful or true of walking in Jesus' authority. But we also have to avoid the other ditch of just, of just taking it for granted or actually just wanting to stay ignorant to the reality of an evil spiritual world. It's also very true and real. So I encourage you, let's avoid those ditches, but let's understand the incredible authority of Jesus. His death and resurrection means that he is all power. He is over the spiritual realm. And we can, we can take great faith in that. So our last picture, so Jesus shows us his authority over the spiritual realm. He shows us his authority over the natural realm. And now we're going to conclude with Jesus showing us that he has the authority to forgive. And this is uh, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 1 to 8. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over and came to his own town. Some men brought him to a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or say, Get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, Get up, take your mat, and go home. The man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to a man. Now again, it's been incredible all along how the religious leaders, you know, when they watched Jesus and they saw, wow, yeah, he's a pretty authoritative preacher and teacher. They were probably annoyed by that. Not too sure what they thought about his healing. They knew that was good because it was helping people, but it's also making them look bad. The whole demonic scene, hard to know how they reacted there. Many reacted with fear. But here in this situation, they're not offended at all by the healing. They're offended by who is this that says they can forgive sin. That's what they were offended of. They could not get their heads around that before them was the king of a new kingdom. It was easier to accept Jesus as a healer than to accept him as the king of a new kingdom. Now think about the incredibleness of Jesus having all authority over sin. Think of how incredible it is that Jesus has all authority over the shame and the guilt that can be associated with sin. That is the kind of healing that Jesus wants to do. Can I encourage us? Are we holding on to sin? 
when we can follow the one that has the authority to forgive. Can I encourage us that if somehow you think, you know, if I hang on to some of the guilt and some of the shame and some of the remorse, yes, Jesus will forgive my sin, but I need to hang on to that because it kind of proves that I'm, I'm taking it seriously. It kind of proves that I'm devoted. It kind of proves that, yes, Jesus, I'm taking responsibility. I know I need to take my punishment for what I've done. We need to understand that that kind of thinking is completely contrary to the one with full authority to forgive sins. Have you ever thought about the fact that if you hang on to your sin or if you hang on to your guilt and shame, even if you think you're doing it for good reasons, that you're basically disrespecting Jesus' authority? Have you ever thought that by doing that, you could be saying to Jesus, your death and resurrection wasn't enough? I still need to hang on to my guilt and shame to prove something. That kind of thinking is actually evil, demonic, and fully human. It is not at all the truth of the gospel. It is not at all the truth of the kingdom that we serve the one who has the authority to forgive all sin, the authority to heal and to wipe out our shame and our guilt. Can I encourage you to submit to that authority? that Jesus in your life. I invite you to him. So with all of these snapshots, how do we respond today? I'm going to ask the worship team if they'll come. In a moment, they're going to lead us in a song that's called Waymaker. And this song talks about Jesus, yes, being the waymaker, but it talks about him being a miracle worker and a promise keeper. It's a song that declares the very incredible, miraculous things that Jesus does, just like we read in the scriptures today. So as we sing this song, this is how I want to, where I want to invite you to respond in your spirit today. I believe there's some of us today that need to submit. No, I shouldn't say all of us. All of us need to submit to the authority of Jesus. May the Holy Spirit lead you how he's calling you to do that today. But but just a few suggestions. Perhaps for some of us, you are carrying that shame and guilt. And Jesus is saying to you today, surrender that to me. Submit to my authority and ask for my healing in your life. May the Holy Spirit speak to you in that area. I think for many of us, we may need to surrender and even admit some of our anger or desperation that Jesus isn't fixing the storms in our life, at least not the way that we hope he would or we imagined it. Or maybe there's disappointment, anger, and devastation and desperation over all the prayers for healing, and they're not looking the way we hope they would. So I'm asking the Holy Spirit to bring us to a point of being able to release that, admit that, bring that to him, and then say, Jesus, I need your presence. I need to submit now to your authority and ask you to give me hope and perspective as I struggle in this. So those may be hard and desperate prayers in some ways, not easy things to think about. But I encourage you to to respond to the Holy Spirit in your heart. Come to the Jesus with this kind of authority to forgive over all of the natural and spiritual realm. He's the one we put our faith in. So let him speak as we respond in this song together.